Hello, dolls and demons. I was just wrapping up this present for my niece's birthday. I got her a good Judy doll from my Hell Hath No Fury collection. The doll's features include stabbing until the owner is dead, setting fire to the house while everyone is asleep, and three recorded messages. It's bound to be a bestseller. And tonight's tale is all about haunted toys and dark magic. Let's see if our guest is any good at all this child's play. <laughs> and gals and welcome back to queers from the crypt i am so 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 excited because tonight we have an amazing guest joining us we will welcome into the crypt garrett zima who's the world's leading chucky expert so in good guy dolls so we have a lot to cover with him we will also be talking about one of our favorite episodes from tales from the crypt and we have a really interesting take on Carrie, so stay tuned. Hi, Rob. Hello again, Jose. How are you? I'm good. I'm so much better now that I am here with you. Oh, there's no place like home, and that is the crypt. Right? I know. Have you been this week? I've been pretty good. Can't complain. Once again, it's another <laughs> another week in purgatory, but uh, we are, you know, we're doing it. We're catching up on movies, catching up on TV. Yeah, I've been, I've been catching up on a lot of horror classics that I hadn't seen. There's always those movies that everyone's seen, and I'm like, uh... Because when I was a little kid, I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies. So I got into horror pretty late in the game. Up until the time I was, like, 16, I'd only seen a handful of horror movies that, like... I, w I was also, like terrified which is the reason why i love horror i was so 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 terrified any horror movie that i watched that i like you know like traumatized so i wasn't allowed to watch them so it was until like i i, I was a teenager that i started like really getting into horror yeah you know in the very beginning, I was absolutely traumatized as well. I remember seeing Child's Play 3 on TV while I had a babysitter watching me one night, and I begged her to turn it off because I was so scared. And fast forward 20-some-odd years, here we are now interviewing somebody, uh, you know, close in the franchise later in the episode. So it's kind of a full-circle moment. Amazing, isn't it? The movie that traumatized me, and you're not going to believe this, because I just recently rewatched it with Daniel, and it is so bad and so cheesy. The Haunting remake. Oh, is that the one with... Um... Catherine Zeta-Jones? Yes. And she's so gorgeous but this movie fucked me up as a child because i don't know if you remember but in the film there's like a bunch of cherubs all over the mansion and that's where the kids souls are trapped yes 
my mom loved cherub bullshit. So there was like, we had a lot of ornaments throughout the house that were like that. And I thought those motherfuckers were out to get me, not the tea. Um, all right. So before we delve into tonight's episode of Tales from the Crypt, should we do a little shout out to some queers and creeps? For queers and creeps this week, I'd love to shout out Brooklyn drag queen, Baby Love, who raised the bar for every drag artist in the digital age with her elaborate video performances during quarantine. Her shot-for-shot recreation of Ariana Grande's death scene in season one of Scream Queens was absolutely iconic. I don't know if you caught it, Jose. Uh, I'm sure she has it available on her page somewhere, but she plays both the Red Devil and Ariana and made it into a music video as well. And it's just really cool to see the work that she's putting out there on top of all the activism that she's doing. So I wanted to shout out Baby Love for showing us all some love during this horrible time of quarantine. All right, so should we dive into it? Oh God, yeah, there's a lot lot to talk about this week. So I have to say, I'm a little sad that Daniel isn't here for this one because he loves this episode. Like, he quotes it all the time. Well, that's one of the biggest things going for this episode is it's really funny dialogue. Yes, and a lot of love creation racism. I think that's worth noting going into it because when I first went back to watch this episode, I didn't like it again, because I was really distracted by these racial stereotypes. I know. It's like when you read H.P. Lovecraft, like he literally writes all, and I think that's probably what the writers back at, like at EC Comics, you know, back in the day when they were writing this comic book, were probably really influenced by Lovecraft because it's like that, that this is exactly how he talks about black people in his stories. While it is not politically correct, it does have, you know, some merit as far as who the true villains in the story are upon closer review. Totally. I mean, one of the things I love about this episode is the duality. I love it when I watch something and I love it and hate it at the same time, you know? As much as I love all the effects and the one-liners and whatnot, it also, like, triggers something in you to really discuss and ponder about why are we representing people this way and why we need more people of color in positions of power in the entertainment industry. So this episode is starring D.W. Moffat as Logan Andrews, Pamela Geen as Margaret Richardson, Aubrey Morris as the Dr. Freddy, and Janet Hubert as the voodoo priestess, who we all know as Aunt Viv, on the original, the original Aunt Viv from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It is a cool role. Like this role of Psyche, like you could see if this episode was made today, like you could see like an Angela Bassett, like kill this role. I really enjoy the directing in this episode. Chris Wallace hasn't directed much. He only directed The Fly 2 and this pretty much, but he has done a lot of special effects and creative consultant for like The Fly, Gremlins, Star Wars 6, Return of the Jedi. So he knows his shit. So like the effects in this are so good. In this episode, Till Death, we find ourselves in a tropical island and we're at a party where we meet Logan. 
And he's a developer who's turning this island into resorts and whatnot, but he realizes that this is pretty much a swamp. Yeah, so the, the island is not really able to be developed, or at least it's going to cost him far more money than he has to develop this island. So uh, at this social mixer that he's having to find financiers, he meets the lovely and snobbish Margaret Richardson, who is full of bitchy reads about him and the island itself. Girl, when she was like... Uh, and the food, it's so spicy and so... ethnic. <laughs> I know, right away... From the peak. Yeah, she, it jumps out right away. You can tell that she is not an island girl. Stunning, though. She's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. Her wardrobe is great. She has this beautiful oh diamond hairnet on at one point, and it's just like... We're going to do a Margaret outfit appreciation post on Instagram. <laughs> we're, gonna yeah, like, I'm yeah. gonna, we're, we're gonna post like all of her outfits from the episode and her like decaying progression. Logan really wants to shack up with Margaret because he thinks that her money will help him develop the land. Yeah, but she won't have it. She is not interested in this man at this point in time. Exactly. So what does he do? He goes to visit his ex-lover who lives on the island, which is, I'm just going to call her, yeah, I'm just going to call her Aunt Viv. Um, <laughs> he goes to visit Aunt Viv and she basically lets us know that they broke up because all of his white friends didn't like him bringing her around. And she has a chip on her shoulder, but she doesn't tell him that. She just agrees to help him by giving him a love potion, which will make Margaret, you know, fall in love with him. Yes, and she warns him. You give her one drop, she become your wife. But if you give her two, she be yours for life. So, <laughs> so, so Logan runs home to go and Bill Cosby, poor Margaret. He adds one drop to her cocktail and it hits her immediately. Ooh, ooh, is it hot in here? Ooh. Yeah, that's what she goes. Did it just get hotter in here? Girl, it's like she just got a whiff of those good double Scorpios. Peggy, <laughs> this Peggy over here is a total popper pig with this potion. What's your favorite brand of poppers? I like, um, I like the no label from Leatherman. I honestly, um, I don't know. I like the ones that work. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't like I don't like spray poppers. Oh but no. One of the things that I miss most about summer, and it's something we've discussed here on the pod, is I really, really miss doing poppers in the hot tub. That's like my favorite thing to do in the summer. Well, that is just dangerous right there because you'll just pass out with all of the blood rush and someone always drops them. And then if you drop a couple too many, then like, you know you're swimming in poppers. Yeah, no, that's pretty gross. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. want that. <laughs> so, so while she's living her, her rush of ha having this potion, they kiss, but she quickly recoils and snaps out of it and rejects him. Until later that night when she comes to his bedroom all hot and horny again, begging to be called Maggie instead of Margaret. So <laughs> now, yeah, now they're, now they're tight, you know? She's asking for nicknames. I get it, girl. I'm horny, too. Yeah, so they bang, and he likes the results so much that he basically unloads the rest of the potion in her drink. And what does she do? She fucking overdoses. 
and dies, but not before <laughs> screaming out, Logan, I'll always love you forever and ever. <gasps> and I was waiting for Whitney Houston to pop up at this point. Yes, Margaret does indeed die, and she is buried. And she's buried on the island because despite all of her millions, they couldn't afford to bring her body back home. So, sure, they bury her on the island. But later that night, while Logan is grieving at her grave, Maggie bursts out from the earth and immediately kisses him. She plants one right on the lips. She doesn't even wipe the dirt off her face. She just comes out Evil Dead style of the ground and locks lips with him. It was kind of a, a gag moment. It was pretty gross. So good. Um, she's so happy to see him. She's so in love. And she fully takes him right there and then. They fuck right next to her grave. She's completely doting on him at this point. She's cooking breakfast, demanding that they have sex five times a day. Uh, but when Logan tries to tell the doctor that he wrongfully had pronounced her dead days before, he insists that she was dead because he had embalmed her. And through all this, like, she also smells kind of funky. Yeah, she smells funky. She's checking her skin in the mirror because things aren't as crisp and fresh as they used to be. Nails and be breaking. After the doctor tells us that he had her embalmed because it's the law, Maggie appears behind him with a meat cleaver and hacks his head off right there at the table in front of Logan. And she breaks a nail in the process, giving us a wonderful, divalicious line of, Oh, damn, I broke another nail. <laughs> she is so good. She's so good. She ends up chasing him around the island, trying to kiss him at every turn as she begins to rapidly decompose. She chases him into some quicksand, she pulls him out, and then he ends up torching her, kicks her flaming body into the quicksand, makes it back home relieved, and hits the bottle. And what happens? There's a rapping at his chamber door, girl, and you bet oh, no! she's back. I'm that's Daniel's favorite quote. He oh always says, I'm back. She does. She says it in the sweetest little voice, but it's coming out of this grotesque, now nearly skeletal version of Margaret. Yeah, like, if, she, if, if you were doubting that she was dead before, she's really dead now. Like, she is on the bone. <laughs> yeah. So what does Logan do? But he swiftly poisons himself before she can get to him. And he dies there on the floor of his cabana. Fade to black. Now we are back at Aunt Viv's voodoo hut. And we find that she has put a spell on Logan, keeping him alive as Maggie's rotted corpse comes to his side, carrying the resurrected head of the doctor as she moves in for a big, wet French kiss. And they will spend eternity together. <laughs> so sweet. True, true romantic. I can see myself as, as Margaret. Come and give you a little baby, baby a kiss. At its core, this is a lover's revenge story as Aunt Viv reveals that she was rejected by Logan uh, by the white people in his country club. You know, in the end, justice is hers and she's kind of toying with him the entire episode. And so, yeah, what a fun episode. <laughs> 
So should we get our guests' opinions? I would love to hear our guests' opinions on the episode, especially because this episode features a lot of voodoo. And of course, we have a child's play expert joining us, and that series is entirely based on voodoo. Yes, sir. Tonight's special guest, we welcome Garrett Zima, who's one of the world's leading experts on the Child's Play franchise and Good Guy Dolls. Artist and craftsman, Garrett is also a creative consultant for Trick or Treat Studios, where he developed screen-accurate chocolate dolls for mass production. He's also the creator of Haunted Voyage, Wisconsin's top haunted house. Hey, Garrett. Hey, how you guys doing? I'm great. great. I'm doing, I'm doing fine. Uh, thanks for letting me on the show. Thank you for joining us. W- what are you up to um, during quarantine? Well, um, I've been working on the haunted attraction, um, but we're sort of in limbo. We don't know if we're going to still be able to open. Just, to, you know, things can happen, but uh, we're just working as if <laughs> things are going on. And, uh, and then I'm doing... Um, I'm doing Chucky dolls for people, yeah. and uh, currently um, I'm working on the Chucky TV show for the Sci-Fi Channel. So I've been um, building things for them for that. I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Oh, that is so, so awesome. That Do is we have so like exciting. any projection of like maybe in a year or something like that when it comes out? I I can't say nothing. I I to- I told I asked Don. I said. Can I, can I just say I'm working on it? And that's it. He's that you can, and that is it. <laughs> like, <I'm not> <laughs> Damn. I, can't talk, I can't say nothing about it, but I, all I can say is I think it's going to be sweet. So I'm so happy to be a part of the project. Uh, well, you're, you're already credited on Cult of Chucky, and that's a huge deal for you, I imagine, as a fan and as an artist oh, yeah. who's dedicated so much time to creating these dolls. What has it been like? becoming a part of the Child's Play family? I started, you know, making dolls maybe over five years ago. And um, it did, that turned into, you know, be involved with merchandise and all that stuff. And it's been incredible. Like, um, you know, I don't, I thought I was going to be a wedding photographer for the rest of my life and dealing with uh, bridezillas. Um, <laughs> but uh, luckily I, I, quit doing that and uh, I'm literally full-time like Halloween horror everything so I got very lucky so I've been independent for over three years now just doing that I haven't worked at any other jobs in uh, in three years and it's been a pleasure so as a you know as working in the art department for films you probably enjoyed uh, tonight's episode of Tales from the Crypt I did. I, I watched it a couple hours ago. Uh, you know, about, you know, when was, when was that show done? Sometime in late 80s or early 90s? I can't yeah, remember. So this came out in um, 1990. So we've, we've okay. discussed how problematic this episode is. Yeah. It, it's just so neat to see practical effects. I mean, it's heavy, you know, in that, in that especially that episode where you're watching the woman, you know, degrade at the end. And I love that. I love it when you're watching a movie or a show like that and you're slowly seeing the person degrade. You know, you kind of see that in some of the Chucky films. That's what, like, was interesting about that episode to me was that you're, you're slowly watching, you know, like, 
it's all practical. They made, you know, different stages of this woman. And uh, that's what I liked about it. That's pretty much my favorite part of the whole thing. I don't know if you ever see this randomly online. They always have these fun facts, but the, the eyes on the Crypt Keeper um, are actually the same eyes they used in Child's Play 1, where in, you know, he's slowly, you know, once he's getting more human, they have those types of eyes. And, and from what I've seen with Kevin and stuff like that there, they seem to reuse a lot, you know, because by saves the money or, or maybe it just looked fine. And uh, so you could see that his eyes are the same. And that's kind of a neat little thing. A true classic never goes out of style. When we had John Kassir last season, he mentioned that it was a budget thing why they reuse. Like they were just went to a, a prob house and just try to grab like all the free things they could get to make the creep keeper for season one. Wow. Yeah, I imagine. I, you know, you look at that, you look at that, even that episode where even there's a portion where the, the character's on fire and you're, you're, you're seeing fire stunts and like a low budget. It's kind of neat to see that. I mean, I don't know how much all that stuff costs at the end of the day, but it's like you're seeing quite a bit of stuff going on there for, you know, something so budgeted. Totally. Did you have a, like, do you have a favorite quote from the episode? Because we were saying this has a lot of great one-liners. Oh, oh God, you know, I was literally even down in the couple of minutes before I called, I was uh, like looking, I was, I rewatched the episode and I'm like, I, you know, there's a lot of cheesy one-liners in there, but I would have to say the whole, the whole, spell itself about you know so the mistake he can make yeah by putting too many drops in her drink so tell us a little about how you got into horror well i personally started i liked freddy krueger a lot um and i made freddy gloves a lot i did when i was like 15 or 16 years old i would just get scrap copper and brass and steel or whatever and i would solder it all together and make a freddy glove because i always wanted a real glove and you know not too long ago only we couldn't get cool prop you know replica props like we can now with trick-or-treat but um you know only you know maybe a decade ago or something like that you had to kind of make it yourself and that was that so i i always was a big fan of freddy and then chucky just kind of came along i always liked chucky because of, i used to entertain people as a kid being a ventriloquist i could do ventriloquism and <laughs> uh so seeing the puppet was just like that's like you know the coolest thing because it's a it's like a very unique puppet and it has a lot of things going in in on it or whatever it ain't the size that counts asshole it's what you do with it but you know i just uh i like that stuff and i i came across how i kind of got into chucky was I, I was at an art gallery and um i met this guy named steve introduced himself to me and he knew i liked horror and he says well hey you know a bunch of chucky props and other stuff at video if you ever want to see he had this barn that was gutted and he lived in it like this it was beautiful it was like it was this old barn that he fixed up and and he had all this cool stuff and this was just 30 minutes away from me in wisconsin and it was just crazy that this guy you know he he uh retired and he moved to wisconsin and just that was the push meeting him and then you know being inspired by the chucky stuff and kind of taking more of a look at it and um now i've been doing chucky for years and, uh, it's been great you know i've been doing chucky stuff but i've also been doing a lot of um uh 
special effects stuff for haunted attractions. I designed different things for haunts. And then it, it's been a real pleasure over the years uh, following your work. I know, I don't know when I discovered you on social media, but it was, it was a few years ago. I, I was telling Jose earlier that, you know, from a very early age, there's, if there's one thing that I've been looking for my entire life, it was the classic good guy doll. I've always wanted one. And I remember finding yeah. you and thinking it was the coolest thing that you were developing these guys. And then your, your partnership with Trick or Treat Studios now making them accessible on, on a huge scale is, is just really cool. And I'm really happy for you and all of your success. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I'm um, the owner of Trick or Treat. I met him at a, at a trade show in, in St. Louis. And uh, we talked over everything and we got, that's how we kind of wrapped the deal was we, um, for the Trick or Treat dolls. And I do plan to come out with new ones through Trick or Treat. So there'll be some new things coming um, and more props. I know like Chucky has a lot of random toy accessories and fans have been asking for those. So, you know, I've been trying to come out with a certain amount of stuff um, to keep the fans satisfied because a lot of times it costs me so much money just to make it myself. Uh -huh. Where when you can have, you know, a factory production that brings the price down, then it becomes more affordable to, to the fans. We're going to have some more impressive dolls coming out. Um, but the good guy doll, you know, it looks, it's pretty darn good. Um, Did you get me too? I don't. I know that Trick or Treat's doing a seed. Um, a seed of Chucky one, um, but yeah, I don't, to be honest, like people ask me to make different dolls all the time and it's hard because I've been making the good guy doll for like over five years and co constantly, I constantly get orders for them. I can, I never have time to make anything new. <laughs> and, uh, that's why like these new dolls I'm, we're coming out with, with trick or treat, they've kind of taken me a while because it's like development hell like you're just trying to get you you don't want to just throw something out there you know i want to make something that you know decades down the line people still want that doll i don't want someone coming out with something better i think that's why trick-or-treat keeps me around they know that i'm gonna i'm gonna you know push to get it perfect, you know, you know, or close to perfect for a mass produced item. So I've been, that's what I've been longing for is, you know, keep pushing. And, and that's where our next dolls, I can't say which ones they'll be, but uh, they'll be freaking badass. Like I can't, I, you know, well, it, it'll be sweet. Take all of my money because I, I am <laughs> so excited about it. I am a vintage mass marketed children's toy from the eighties. Let's talk about um, Cult of Chucky. How, yeah. so how did you meet Don? How did, it, how did this happen for you? Well, so Tony Gardner is a friend on Facebook because he had Facebook. Some of these guys, they do, you know, um, they have Facebooks and he accepted my friend request. And I think, I think he may have saw something on my personal page or one of the Chucky forums or something like that. And uh, he reached out to me and I didn't leave, like at first I was like, oh my God, he's like talking to me. I was like fangirling out a little bit. And it was just, he's, Tony is such a nice guy. Like it's, you know, sometimes you get nervous talking to certain people when 
Well, he's know? a legend in the business. He's he's yeah, huge. yeah. And the guy was just so easy to talk to, so nice, and you know, he he wanted to basically hear me out on like what things need to start looking like because he his goal from the beginning when he first worked on Seed was he wanted it you know to look just like you know the previous dolls Kevin's work I only did a certain amount of stuff on cult I provided the good guy doll parts so that's why when you see the good guy in that in that movie it's because you know I provided those parts and they kind of went and went with it and uh, they filmed it in Canada um, but I wasn't part of the filming or anything like that I just sort of made what they wanted um, but when the TV series came about you know, I got more involved or whatever, and uh, they've they've been giving me a lot of tasks, which has been sweet. Um, That's really so cool. I can't I can't say what, but it's like I had a feeling. Crazy. I was like, uh, if he's involved, I wonder what we can get out of him. But I oh I respect God. your your being sworn to secrecy. I'm I'm loyal because they they um I got contacted with Trick or Treat to do the remake dolls for. Not Ooh. to make, not to make them, but they wanted. They already had that figured out, but they wanted um, a bunch of dolls made for the um, the theaters, like to be displayed at the theaters. And they were saying about making like 40, 50, 60 dolls. And I knew Don was very upset about the remake and it happening. Oh, we're, and, so was everyone else. Yeah. yeah, and and so I declined, and that would that could have been a payday for me, and I said no because I I just knew that you know they were gonna do something you know Don and them were gonna do something else, and that's what's gonna survive and live is that yes. that franchise, and working on something that's gonna be forgotten real quick that's just a cash grab is is not gonna help my career at all so it's like i'm really for someone that. yeah so you know i did that and uh, i'm so happy i did because um you know being a part of the tv show is uh is a real treat and, and we're all you know it's i know covid and everything's been weird and they've you know i don't know how long they've been announcing the tv show but you know it's um you know, it. Hopefully, everything works out. You know, just just like my haunted house, man. It. I've put thousands and thousands of dollars into the, my haunt this year, and then there's like certain people that are saying, you know, something about legally I can't do it, and it's sort of a bummer. <laughs> right. Well, I hope so, that you are able to do it because I was thinking about this recently. I feel like certain haunt attractions and haunted hayrides in particular are things that can be socially distanced. I mean, half of the yeah. people involved are wearing masks already. Uh, so yeah. it would just be asking, you know, your, your audiences and your patrons to kind of respect that yeah. as well. I wanted to, um, for our listeners, I don't know if it's common knowledge for a lot of our listeners or not, but Don Mancini, who we've been speaking about, is the original creator of the Child's Play franchise. He wrote it. Uh, wrote the first. He's written all of them, correct? And he's directed the last. Yeah. Movie. Uh, and he is also um, an out gay man working in Hollywood who has fought for the better part of thirty years uh, to 
keep the rights to his franchise and continue this original storyline, which I have so much respect for because all of yeah. these other horror genres have had different writers and directors cycling in and out, you know, with every installment. But Dawn has been there from the beginning. And um, I personally, you know, and Jose as well, as, as queer filmmakers, we look up to somebody like that who has fought mm. for the property and Absolutely. kept going. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on that sharing a similar perspective and then being brought on to the team. Well, you know, I, it, 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 I think it's, you know, talent. I don't think they hire a bunch of gay guys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think Don's very talented with writing and um, it, it, it's awesome that, you know, in a, in a sense that he is gay and we, we get a horror gay icon like Don to uh, helm it. And it is crazy rare to see like, you know, he has been doing this from the beginning. So it is cool to see, you know, and he's put, you know, his, some gay twists in the shows, which have been interesting. My, my personal favorite um, would be in Bride when you have the gay character that you don't necessarily know he's gay, but you do. You know, you know he know oh, yeah. you know he's gay. Those frosted tips. They kind of say it. Yeah, and I always loved that because it's like it's so casual. Well, How that, Don wrote that in is so casual, and I love it. So, well, and that he would I, cast John Waters in Seed of Chucky. You know, it's like yeah. it's I it, it's able to survive on the mainstream because he does it so subtly, but when you are a part of the community and you go back and you watch these films, you see him sprinkling queerness in throughout all of yeah. them. I mean, just looking yeah. at Nick Stable's body in Bride of Chucky, <laughs> I'm like, it's a yeah. Beefcake. <laughs> yeah, we got a we got a good old beefcake in here. <laughs> all right, so we are running out of time. Uh, do you have any parting thoughts, Garrett? Um you know, I've 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 been just very lucky, um, and very fortunate. Um, you know, not a lot of fans get to be a part of like they're. I mean, I've done like indie film stuff, but Chucky was the real movie I got to be a part of, and to be and to get that is a, you know a dream come true, and it's insane and even say I'm working on the TV series it's like I can't believe that either like it's just so cool and and all the people involved and that are involved they're so nice to me like the nicest people you, I've talked to people that in the, in the film industry that are just not I don't know they're just not nice or they're very passive Oh, yeah. But the Chucky franchise has been so good to me. Thank you so much for joining us, Garrett. This was so much fun. Yeah, have me back anytime. I'll be back uh, episode five. We'll do a part two. I'll keep, I'm like, I'll keep talking. <laughs> I would, um, there's an episode with a ventriloquist. We should have you back for that one. I'm down. I got, I got a puppet. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's, still, it's a really good puppet. It's one of my yeah. favorites. Cool. All right. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you. No problem. Join us again soon here in the crypt. Give it up for Garrett Zima. Aren't you the crazy bitch I talked to last night on the phone? That was so fun. I love Garrett. Oh my God. He had so much insight on, on the franchise, things that I've been itching to know about for a long time. And it's so cool to know that he is 
involved in the upcoming series. Uh, so we should stalk his page to see if any developments leak over the next uh, year. Totally. And we definitely have to have him back when the show comes out and get all the insights. I'm sorry, I can't wait. Oh, he is so knowledgeable about the genre and it is so cool to see kind of a success story where a fan of something, you know, ends up being ushered into the universe of it. And now he is a part of that very fabric that uh, is child's play. And I am putting this out into the world. If any of Garrett's child's play co-workers do feel so inclined to put in a good word for me to become a writer on the show, because I can kill a bitch a good way. And if any of Garrett's co-workers know Jennifer Tilly, and if she needs a new personal assistant to massage her feet or to brush her hair or do any goddamn thing, I am there. I do a really great impression of Gina Gershon, and I think we'd get along famous. You wanna play? You, you, you polish her Tiffany doll daily. <laughs> if, I if, met her once. Jennifer? Jennifer Tilly once, yeah. She oh, was really shut nice. up. Yeah, I have a picture with her. She was really, really nice. She, uh, for all of our listeners, you need to follow Jennifer Tilly runs an Instagram account for her Tiffany doll. called Iconique, Tiff I love her! Called Tiffany Movie Star, and she dresses Tiffany up and poses her around Los Angeles, living her life, and it is all written from the perspective of the doll. So it is, it's really brilliant and it's funny and uh, the gays have, have got to love it. So. I love her. I love her. All right. So before we leave, should we, should I, we tell our listeners a little bit of horror history? Oh, lay it on me, Jose. This week in horror history, we saw the opening of the iconic Dracula the Musical, which premiered on Broadway at the Belasco Theater, starring Tom Hewitt, Melissa Errico, and Kelly O'Hara. So, I mean, come on, great cast. But the show only lasted 157 performances. Uh, we also celebrate the release of films The Wicker Man, Martyrs, and Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla. I recently watched Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla, and it is so bad. Ah! But <laughs> this week we also celebrate the birthdays of Yvonne DiCarlo, the iconic Lily Munster, Danielle Merrick, director of the Blair Witch Project, Costas Mandalore, actor from the Saw franchise, mm. Mm. Patricia Tallman who's a fierce stunt woman, but you also know her from the Night of the Living Dead remake and Army of Darkness. Michael Berriman from The Hills Have Eyes, which whom we all know and love. I met him uh, once as he is just the coolest, nicest guy. We need to have him on the pod. We need to have him on the pod. If anybody out there knows him, please tell him to come join us at Queers from the Crypt. We also, okay, we also celebrate Rose McGowan. Max Shrek, who portrayed uh, Graf Orlock in the uh, in the classic film Nosferatu, Doug Bradley, who played Pinhead, and Dario Argento. So we celebrate a lot of like very classic characters in the canon of horror. And that has been this week in horror history. This week on The Terrible Twos, we explore The Rage, Carrie 2. Next semester. Rachel! 
terror. Dude, it's her! It's her doing it! Runs <laughs> in the family. The Rage Carry 2. This 1999 sequel to Brian De Palma's cult classic film is not an adaptation of any Stephen King novel. The film centers around Emily Burgle, uh, who plays Rachel Lang, and after the suicide of her only friend, this teenage outcast, seeks, uh, she sees a spike in her telekinetic powers because she is what? The half-sister of Carrie White. <laughs> Amy Irving returns as Sue Snell, the only survivor of Carrie White's rampage 23 years prior, who may hold the key to helping Rachel come to terms with her telekinetic powers. But high school bullies will be high school bullies, and they are out in force in this 90s <laughs> absurd sequel, and they end up videotaping Rachel having sex with her boy boyfriend and broadcast it to TV at a party um, where Rachel sees this and she is humiliated and her instincts kick in and she channels her inner sissy spacek and completely unloads on her tormentors in uh, this massive rampage at this house party, which is, you know, parallels the prom scene from the original film. I hate this movie. I hate this movie so much. <laughs> well, it definitely lacks the charm and the craft of the original. So my thing is, Carrie is not good. The original. So, like, the book is not good. The original, I mean, the original is classic and I love it. But let's be real. The book is not good. The movies, from, a, from a, like, really a, a filmmaking standpoint, is okay. And every other adaptation after has been awful. So Carrie should not be touched. I, I, I just don't think it makes for, like... I don't think Carrie, I think the idea of Carrie is better than the execution of Carrie. Well, there has yet to be a faithful adaptation of the book because in the book, Carrie is more of a like portly kind of tortured soul. And each time they cast a slightly attractive female lead as Carrie and um, in, in, in actuality, she's supposed to be, you know, really an outcast in every way. Whereas in the remake, Chloe Grace Moretz was like stunning and it just didn't. I know. I, the only adaptation that I think is the best of Carrie is the musical. Well, we, <laughs> I'll have to disagree. And so will most of I mean, it's iconic and campy, but Jose, it only lasted one day on Broadway. Yes, and then it was off Broadway a couple of years ago with yeah, Marley like, Matlin beating this poor girl with a Bible while belting. Iconic. Hello. It's absolutely iconic. And I think that that's where Carrie stands with the LGBT audience is, is that she, it's a story of an, an outsider who enacts revenge on her abusers. And I think a lot of us have fantasized about that, you know, whether we were, oh yeah, uh, you know, bullied in high school or wherever it was. So Carrie is kind of uh, a hero for a lot of us. Yeah. I, I, I do like the fact that this was directed by a woman. I Absolutely. Think she Carrie also directed uh, Poison Ivy. And Nancy Drew. <laughs> Which Nancy Drew? The Emma Roberts? Uh, Nancy the Drew? last one that just came out with, um, what's her face? Nancy Drew with Sophia Lillis from It. Yeah, she directed that. Um, but 
I mean, she's not a great director. Sorry, Kat. Maybe we can have her on the pod and change our mind. We're here. I think the highlight of this film for me is Jay Smith Cameron because I love, love, love that actress. Um, you'll know her from True Blood, but my favorite role of hers is in Succession. My favorite death in particular is this girl who is um, stabbed to death by a stack of CDs that goes flying off the racks, and it is death by compact discs. Uh, doesn't get much better than that, especially for 1999. Thank you for this week's terrible twos. You're welcome. Was it as good for you as it was for me? What a fun episode, Robert! Oh. A blast. What a blast. So, and with that, we bid farewell for right now. We'll be back next week with more Queers from the Crypt. Um, as always, you will find our Venmo accounts below so that you can tip us if you feel so inclined because you were entertained. And when you do, make sure to tell us... That's right, tell us that Freddie sent you so that we know it comes from Queers from the Crypt and we will pull the tips and then divide them equally amongst the production and cast team of three. And we will also donate a portion of the proceeds to the Marshall P. Johnson Institute. Uh, also, don't forget to watch my movie, Killer Unicorn, on iTunes, Amazon Prime, YouTube Red, Google Play. And it's only three bucks to rent and I get like 70 cents from that. So help me pay my condit bill, please. And don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to Queers from the Crypt. And we look forward to seeing you next week for episode five. Bye. You stupid bitch, you filthy slut. Did you fuck with me? Queers from the Crypt with Daniel Adams and Jose D. Alvarez is presented by Nightfix, featuring Wednesday Westwood as Cryptors from the Dark. Original artwork by Black Mast. Our original theme song is by Amanda Darkangelis. Queers from the Crypt is for informational, entertainment, and satirical purposes only. It is not endorsed by EC Comics or HBO or any of their subsidiaries. Tales from the Crypt, The Crypt Keeper, names, audio clips, and images are registered trademarks and copyrights of the respective trademark and copyright holders. 